Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy birthday, Wendy Marston. You are the Wendy beneath my wings. Wendy, you're awesome. We appreciate you. We're you, grateful you are for you. awesome, and we do appreciate it. I always love, every time I come across her, she's always smiling, and she's she got a, a great countenance. She's joyful. And it's genuine, and yeah. I don't sense that she's just trying to put on airs. So I appreciate yeah. that. And if you're listening, you you think to yourself, I think I know Wendy. I don't know if I know Wendy. If you've had a donut at Compass Bible Church in North Texas. You know Wendy. You've been blessed by Wendy. <laughs> Yeah, she and her husband, Steve, help us with our hospitality ministry and uh, great people. They lead the charge. Both of them. By the way, they've got quite the Christmas lights. Already? Display. Well, I don't know if it's up yet, but I know they, they take time off work to, uh, to awesome. get the lights up. That's great, man. Yeah. I can't wait to go and show up. Yeah, and that's a, that's a helpful thought, right? How can putting up Christmas lights help be a, a testimony to our neighborhood? Wow, there's so many elements there. One, I think in this particular context, North Texas, people people do this. There's a lot of people that do, do this and do it a lot. In fact, some of my neighbors already are lighting up their houses. Yep. It's already happening. So I think in part of just being a good neighbor and blessing your community by by doing something just thinking State decent, Farm right now. <laughs> like a good neighbor, Pastor PJ is there. Uh, yeah, you know, I think what I'll do, um, I want to hear more of your thoughts on this, but what I'll do, I'll take a picture of the, the Marstons and I'll set it in front of my house. Awesome. Just blow it up so that it's big enough that It'll it looks cover like my your house. house. Exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Maybe you could cut it out and just like you <laughs> could open a hole for your front door and just a tarp that you I roll out. I might do that. That's probably cheaper than hanging lights and things. Yeah. It would look weird during the day and it would be ineffective at night though because it wouldn't actually be lights. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for shooting down that idea. But a blessing to your community. Well, and, and yeah, our community does it. It's a blessing to our community. But there's something to it too, right? I mean, light. We're talking about that a lot in John. He's the light of the world. There's lightness in Christ, no darkness. And so there's even that element there. Right, as, I think that's well. why we started that probably. Yeah, yeah. So put up Christmas lights. Uh, yeah, if you can afford it and if it makes sense it. for you, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah, I, yeah, there are people. Well, because I, I think you could do it yourself, which I've toyed with the idea and I'm looking at my house going, okay, you there's could parts die. of it. Yeah, <laughs> but then the second story part, I, I'm like, nope. Nope. So then your house is like half lit and that's like, yeah. you can't do that. It's, it's, and that's what I'm, see, that's the thing. We, so we, I need we to hire houses. the Marstons to come do it. That's a good idea. Happy birthday, Wendy. On I got you way. a present. <laughs> you get to come and do lights at my place. You could buy them. You could set them up for us. That's a good idea. Actually, I'm going to think about that. Well, you know, I'll wait till her birthday's over though. Yeah. It's probably helpful. Yeah. Hey, let's jump to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 46, 47 and 48. Got a triple today. Yes, we do. And what a doozy. Yeah, it starts out and it starts out with a connection here that we can kind of grab. By the way, chapters 46 to 51 are God's dealing with the nations in this context here. So um, he's going to be focused on on not Jerusalem, not not Israel, not Judah at this point, but but really the nations now. Egypt, Philistines, and Moab in this yeah. particular triad. Yeah. And the first one makes sense because we've been dealing with Egypt. Okay. So we're, we're dealing with Egypt. Okay. God's going to punish Egypt. And in my summary here is down goes Egypt. <laughs> Um, 
verse 2, we're back in 605 BC still, uh, fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, uh, when this all begins, this uh, this declaration of judgment against Egypt. Uh, but one thing to note in this is as, as world history would unfold and these nations would suffer and these nations would befall, uh, would, would have judgment befall them, um, it's important to note that what God is saying here is preparing the way for us to understand who did it and who is behind it. Uh, you look at verse 10. This is the day of the Lord of hosts, a day of vengeance to avenge himself on his foes. Um, look at verse 15. Why are your mighty ones, Egypt? Why are they face down? They do not stand because the Lord thrust them down. Uh, verse 19. Prepare your baggage or prepare yourselves rather uh, baggage for exile. O inhabitants of Egypt for Memphis shall become a waste, a ruin without inhabitant. So as we read this text, as we read this chapter, as he's unfolding his judgment, not just here, but also in the other ones, it's imperative that we understand what God is doing and why he's announcing this, because this doesn't have much bearing on Judah or Israel. But the reason why he's announcing this, he wants the nations to know, and he wants his people to understand that when this happens, hey, he's the one behind it. He's the sovereign one that's bringing all of these things about. It's not just happenstance. Well, it would be comforting, too, to the remnant. It would be comforting to those who are there, and perhaps at some point would come to the realization, oh, this wasn't a good decision for us. God, God has never not seen every other nation. He's always, he can't not be aware of those nations. He's going to, so many double them. negatives. <laughs> right. He can't so not. many. Well, sorry. I was just in a, in a, in a groove here. You get but, it. but the idea here, I mean, with all these nations that we're about to read through, and I don't know how much of it was going to, would be helpful for people to dive into. But the idea here is, look, God is not only operating with Judah and Israel. He's operating with everybody. Yeah. And so he expands the, the, uh, I don't know, the spotlight as it were to say, look, I, I, I'm, I've got everybody. I'm working on everybody. I've I've got plans and purposes, and I'm not going to forget you, Israel. He said, I I love that. He's going to stop and make a pit stop at Israel and say, hey, you guys aren't done. Right. Both Israel and Judah, which was like, oh, that's so cool. He's, he's just like, yeah, I'm still thinking about you guys. I still care about you. Right, right. Yeah, that's verses 27 and 28. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease. This is talking about Israel as the whole here. I will not make a full end of you, even though I make a full end of these nations. So yeah, you're right. This is a comforting element to, to Israel as well. And the first one down is Egypt. And and that's significant as well because it's it's probably another, not just comfort to Israel and Judah, but another opportunity for humility for them because Egypt was their source of hope and confidence. They were the spider's web that they were leaning on looking for support. And God is revealing to them just how, how vacuous that support really would be because he was going to take down Egypt as well. Then we get to, to the Philistines, and this is uh, chapter 47, and this is Yahweh's tour of judgment conti- continuing here. Mm. Um, and he's, he's going after the Philistines. And uh, you think about Egypt, you think about Philistia, you think about Moab. These are three nations that, Pastor Rod, you mentioned Egypt as this in yesterday's podcast, but all three of these had been a thorn in God's side, side right? I mean, think, think of the Philist- Philistines with, uh, with Goliath. And the taunting of Yahweh, and they, they suffered a, a response from Yahweh in, in part when David picked up the, the sling and stone and, and slayed Goliath, and then the rest of that history between uh, the Davidic monarchs and Philistia. But here, God still remembers them, and I think is still bringing judgment against them because of that rebellion against him and, and because they were a thorn in the side of his people for so long. Right, and they only get a couple small verses here. I mean, but still, God's, God's, God hasn't forgotten 
I, you know, I, I found particular interest in verse 4. The fathers look not back to their children. So God's judgment to them was going to be so uh, so horrendous, so large, so foreboding that the fatherly instinct to protect their kin, their family, is gone. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this isn't, this isn't God only picking on Philistia. This is this is what happened with Israel too. I mean, remember, they're they're eating their kids during the siege. Right. And that's that's awful, and I don't want to spend much more time thinking about that or talking about it. But all this to say, God God will judge. God does not forget. God does not have a short memory. He has an everlasting memory. Do not allow yourself to ever be deceived into thinking God doesn't know. God doesn't care. God does know, and He does care. He does. He does. Well, in chapter 48, we turn to Moab. Now, Moab was across the Jordan to the east of the Jordan River from where Jerusalem was. Uh, And uh, Moab had had a history also with Israel. They're related. In fact, yeah, related. And even think back to Numbers 22 through 24. You've got a situation there that you might remember from your your flannel graphs growing up uh, where you had Balaam and Balak. And you remember Balak hired Balaam. Balak was a Moabite king, a Moabite ruler, hired Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And you remember the story there. Balaam refused to to curse Israel because he kept saying, I can only do what God is going to let me do. And I can only say what God is going to have me say. And so eventually Balak tells him, he says, stop, just stop talking. Stop talking. Just (laughs) just, fine. You don't have to curse them, but just stop talking. Um, But the Moabites, they would, they refused passage to Israel. You had a, this was an interesting situation in Israelite history. But one thing that's unique here is there's a, a Moabitess who is part of the Messianic line. That's right. And that's Ruth. Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess. And she ends up marrying Boaz and uh, ends up as the, the grandmother, I believe it's the grandmother, to David um, through uh, through Jesse, one yeah. of their uh, their children. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Moab is, is a conflicted people group here. God uses them in some regards and, and then ultimately has great wrath and judgment poured out upon them. David conquered the Moabites. And, and I remember that scene, he laid them up uh, and had them lay down and he went and, and every third man he ended up executing of the Moabites at that point. And so you think, man, that's, that's a, a rough uh, family meeting between David and, and his, his people there. But here God is talking about the big picture, pouring out the judgment against the Moabites in chapter 48. Well, I found it interesting too, that the Moabites have a, de- a delusional sense of self they magnified themselves against the Lord, is what it says in verse 42 and verse 26. Right. These guys have this inflated sense of self that just disregards reality. And I think that's kind of God leaving us to our own devices. We, we will become uh, we'll become large in our own thoughts and we'll magnify ourselves against the God of all creation and heaven and earth. Um, and so that's one of the dangers for Christians, not just for Moab. I mean, we can all become prideful and arrogant. We might even be proud that we go to the right church and proud that we have the right pastor, we have the right doctrine, pr- proud that we have the best worship pastor in all of North Texas. All. I mean, <laughs> we can have, there's so many reasons for us to catch on things that, to your, your point earlier, is evidence of God's grace that we can easily lose sense of the fact that we are products of grace through and through. Yes. And if Moab, I'm sure, would have humbled themselves, they would have realized this. But notice here at the very end of the chapter, I don't know if you caught this, you probably did, verse 47, yet I will restore the fortunes of yeah. Moab yeah. in the latter days, declares the Lord. Wow. I I just took a breath and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm stoked. I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I, I don't know if this has to do with God gathering the nations or it's because of their their actual lineal connection to to Israel through Abraham. 
uh, through his uh, the cousin Lot. I, I mean, I don't know. There's there's several thoughts in my mind, but I found that fascinating. Judgment and yet mercy at the same time. Once yeah. again, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, flip over to Hebrews chapter four. This is a good chapter for our New Testament reading. It's a good one. It is a good one. Jesus is better. Still. Yep. Still. And remember, coming out of, of chapter three, we talked about the fact that Moses didn't ultimately provide that rest. Well, that means there's a rest yet to be found. And that's how the chapter opens. While the promise of entering his rest, God's rest still stands because that hasn't been realized yet. Let us fear. Here's another warning to us. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And so we are exhorted there to press on and to continue. And that's a lot of this theme in this chapter is to stay uh, the course. And he develops this this concept of the rest. And he says, not only did Moses not lead the people in, but even Joshua failed in this. Look at verse eight. If Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What is that talking about? Well, that's talking about eternity. That's talking about our eternal rest. That's talking about the, the future that we all look forward to in being with the Lord in eternity. And so that day is yet future. And so what do we need to do? Verse 11, we need to strive. We need to stay the course. We need to strive to enter that rest so that we don't fall by the same sort of disobedience. How? How do we strive to enter that rest? Well, I think that's where verse verses 12 and 13 come into to play. When we allow God's word to do the work that it's intended to do, that the word of God is the scalpel in the hands of the divine surgeon. And when we give ourselves over to the word of God, it's going to open up our, our, our lives. It's going to lay us bare. It's going to allow us to do what David prays in Psalm 139 when he says, try me and search me and know if there's any grievous way in me. If you want to know if there's any grievous way in you, expose yourself daily to the word of God. Let the surgeon take up the scalpel daily. To, to show you that. And by doing so, that's one of the ways we strive to enter the rest and make sure we're not going to fall by disobedience because the word will reveal disobedience in our lives. It's a, such an interesting contrast, striving and resting. Uh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't miss that. I was, I was intrigued by that when I first studied this. Um, and I really like the way that you're positioning this because I, I think this is what, what the preacher is trying to say here. The, the goal for the Christian is to so repeatedly expose ourselves to the word uh, and in doing so, we're going to feel the pain of that, yeah. but to let it happen. Yeah. So, and and we talked about this at a, at a community group recently, where sometimes in in a lot of churches we might be tempted to gloss over some of the really challenging, difficult passages because of that very reason that they're not they're not going to make you walk away feeling good about yourself. They're right. not going to make you walk away saying, "Man, I loved that." But often it's those discomforting disturbing even texts that really calibrate our soul to be resilient and strong. It's the difference between living off of cotton candy versus living living off of meat and veggies. Cotton candy is good in its proper place. I'm all about you know, a good snack and a treat here and there, but the, the bulk of our Christian diet should be the meat and potatoes of the word. Right. And that means going through the whole text and letting the text do its work on us. And, and that's a danger for us because a lot of us have our favorite pastor. We love the Psalms, love the epistles. Man, we need Jeremiah though. We right. need Isaiah. We need these dense, difficult passages to, again, calibrate our thinking about who God is and fill in the gaps of what we would otherwise believe God to be. We need the whole picture and we need the whole Bible. Yeah. And, and like you said, it does hurt sometimes. And that's where the rest of this chapter comes into play. And it answers that hurt. Because what do we do? What do we yeah. do when, when the, I'm convicted about sin? Totally. How do I deal? Yeah. Well, that's verses 14 through 16. 
we now have a, a great high priest and the high priest was there to represent the people before God. And you remember the Old Testament, he was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies once a year and he would bring the blood of the goat on the day of atonement and he would offer the, the, the blood of the, the goat for the sins of the people and their sins would be atoned. Well, we now have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, not through the, the, the curtain of the Holy of Holies anymore, but he's come to us. And, uh, and he's there for us. And now we have one who is able to sympathize. Remember, cause we talked about this yesterday. He was made like his brothers in every respect, or, or I guess two days ago in chapter two, he's made like his brothers in every respect. So he's able to sympathize. He can represent us because of his humanity and yet he's without sin. Now we can draw near with confidence. In what sense has he been tempted in every way? Do we understand that as Jesus having every temptation that could have been experienced in his earthly life, his ministry, is there another tense that we should understand that? No, I think what he's arguing here is is more so that that there's nothing. He has not been exempted from a particular form of of temptation that that humanity has that would uh, we could level the charge. Well, he doesn't know what it's really like. I sinned, right. but Jesus never had to, to to suffer the way that I have to suffer. So it's not that he experienced every single temptation that, that has ever existed. He never was tempted to watch TikTok for 16 hours. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. But he was tempted as we are yet without sin. Tempted to waste time, perhaps. Yeah. And in that sense, he's been tempted like we are. He was tempted to perhaps violate his covenant with God to cast his eyes on a, on a woman yep. inappropriately. Yep. Um, not to unlike what it's like today. So tempted in every way doesn't mean tempted in every single specific instance you can think of. Yeah. But Jesus was tempted in every way that we would be tempted and thus he succeeded. He was without sin. So yeah. he's, he's worthy of our attention and our trust. And that, that's why even when scripture convicts us, we can now draw near to the throne of grace that's to right. find mercy and grace to help because the high priest is there and he's interceding for us. Interesting thought here about Jesus, though, building off that temptation thing, that this is a debate that has existed in the church age for a long time. And it's the debate between- Let's settle it right now. Peccability versus impeccability, which means- Like a woodpecker or- Yeah. Yep. Peccability would suggest that Jesus was able to sin but did not sin. Impeccability would say Jesus was not able to sin and did not sin. And so the debate rages whether or not Christ was truly able to sin. And the the argument in favor of those that would say they believe he was able to sin, though this is not my position, is they believe that if he wasn't able to sin, he couldn't truly feel the temptation that we feel. That it's only if the potential to sin exists that he would have been able to be tempted as we are. So that's the peccability position. My argument on the impeccability side is there's no realm in which Christ could have sinned because for Jesus to have sinned, he would have ceased to be God. And there was no situation in which God could ever cease to be God. That's part of the definition of who God is. So because he was fully God and fully man, I believe he was able to, to feel the temptation. He felt the hunger in the wilderness when, this, when Satan said, look, there's rocks, make them bread. He knew what hunger was. He felt that. But was he ever going to sin and disobey the Father? No, he was never going to sin and disobey the Father. It would go contrary to his nature as God. Thus, he wasn't able to to do it. So let me add one more element to this. Um, you might be thinking, okay, then was his temptation legitimate? Was it? Was it? it it's right. not like mine. And this is, of course, where the conversation ends up having a lot of a lot of heat. Maybe not a lot of fire, but there's a lot of heat here. Um, there's a difference between internal temptation and external temptation. You and I know internal temptation. Our soul, our, our flesh yearns for something evil. 
Um, external temptation is things, if I, if I were to offer you, uh, and you're on a diet, I'd offer you a zinger, one of my favorite zingers. Here's a zinger, Pastor PJ. You want the zinger? And I, I open, open the wrapper and just really gently pull it out and show you the thing. This is weird. Okay. <laughs> it's just tempting you to have the zinger. Um, externally, I'm tempting you, but perhaps on the inside, you're feeling no draw whatsoever. It's like, okay, yeah, I get that, but that's not my Christmas cake. It has to be the Christmas to, okay, cake. The yeah. little Debbie Christmas cake, Pastor PJ. Yeah, so the internal versus external temptation, that's one way to approach this. Does that resolve every theological fancy you may have? Probably not, but it's at least one way to consider it, internal versus external temptation. It is. Yeah, the, the point is, expose yourself to the Word of God Get hurt, get wrecked by it from time to time. Rejoice in that and take it to the pray take, for that. Take it to Jesus, right? Because He's the answer for every one look at our sin. We give ten looks to Christ, um, and we can because He's our merciful and faithful High Priest. So, hey, hopefully that encourages you, and you'll join us again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.